What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. One of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. <sighs> Kyle, seems like we got another late one going tonight. What do we have on the agenda, my friend? Well, I hate to start it off rough with you just because uh, we're fresh off of the um, the Warriors beating the Mavericks uh, in Game 3 on the road. Uh, as it stands right now, the Warriors are up 3-0 in that series. They're one game away from the finals. Uh, we'll dive into that. That'll be the first thing that we get into. Uh, after that, uh, we're going to transition to the Game 3 that took place between the Celtics and the Heat this past weekend. Uh, we saw the Heat win that Game 3 matchup to put them up 2-1 in that series. Now, they did lose Jimmy Butler in that game due to a knee injury. So, we'll talk about the significance about if he potentially misses Game 4, but as it stands right now from the reports that I see, the, the Heat are optimistic about his return for Game 4. So we'll kind of see how it plays out uh, before uh, the ball gets tipped to start the game in Game 4. And, and that will kind of be our, our next thing. We'll do a preview of the Game 4 matchup between the Celtics and the Heat. And then to wrap up the episode, uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of hockey. I know we haven't really dove into the NHL playoffs in depth, but... I definitely want to dive into the Lightning's recent success against the Florida Panthers. Uh, they are currently up 3-0 in that series against the Panthers after a dominating Game 3 performance at home. That puts them one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals and keeps their dream of a possible 3 P alive if they were able to advance to the next round. So that's the agenda that we have for the episode. Let's not waste any more time and let's dive into this Golden State-Dallas uh, Mavericks matchup. And like I said at the top, the Warriors beat the Mavericks by the score of 109-100. to As it stands right now, uh, the Warriors are one game away from the NBA Finals. Really, this Game 3 performance, when you look back at it, they got great production uh, from multiple players in regards to Golden State. I mean, Steph Curry dropped 31 points, also had 11 assists, five rebounds. Andrew Wiggins was absolutely phenomenal for Golden State as well. He dropped 27 uh, 27 points. And then Klay Thompson chipped in for a nice 19 spot. And when you look at Dallas, once again, you know, Luka lights up the scoreboard, drops 40 points in a loss. They were able to get decent production from Spencer Dibwitty, who dropped 26 points, and Jalen Brunson chipped in uh, a solid 20-point performance uh, despite the loss against Golden State. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with Golden State going up 3-0 in the series against the Mavericks, are the Mavericks essentially dead in the water right now? Uh, without a doubt. Um, it's painful to watch. It's kind of annoying to kind of look at a team and see what we've been able to put out for this entire postseason. And um, it's actually a shame. I am quite upset. I don't really have many emotions, as, as Kyle can allude to. I, I answered the call pretty numb today, so it is what it is. I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, you know, we uh, we didn't knock down shots. I've been saying it all postseason. Don't really care about the backlash I'm going to get. I told you so. Um, not Kyle. I'm saying in general. Like, I told people that eventually we were going to come across a series where we, the shots were just not going to fall. We are not a consistent jump shooting team. We take the most threes in the postseason. We've taken, we were a top three or top four team in the NBA. Took the most threes um, in totality of a season. So I'm looking at this team and I'm saying, 
it's just it's inevitable. We never were a consistent shooting team, and when you live and die by the three, there are going to be games like this. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we shot about what twenty. 28, yeah, 28.9% from the three-point line. We took a total of 45 threes. Once again, over 40. It's just getting ridiculous. Um, from the field, uh, we only shot 30 of 75, so that's 40% barely. And that's kind of uh, with including some garbage time. So I, I'm I'm frustrated. Um, no team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit in postseason history, so it's not necessarily looking like it's uh, it's in the cards for us. I can't even necessarily say that I'm... I'm I'm happy with this team or, you know, I'm proud that we made it this far because I was just telling Kyle before we actually hit the record button, this isn't the team that beat Phoenix. Um, This isn't the team that was able to lock up when it mattered the most. This is not the team that was able to hit clutch shots because we're not hitting offensively consistently. Um, And in that game too, when we should have stole that in Golden State, when Luka had 42, um, I believe uh, JB had 30 and then Reggie Bullock had 21 we end up losing because we blew a 14 point lead at half um this team in and of itself outside of Luka Doncic isn't offensively sound uh I know I give Luka a lot of shit but without Luka I know for a fact we wouldn't be in this position so before people start to come at me sideways and say um I don't even like Luka I mean regardless of what my opinion is on the player himself I know for a fact that he's the one carrying us through this postseason so it is what it is, but outside of Lucas scoring 40 and obviously Jalen 20 and Dor- and uh, D- D- Dinwiddie, sorry, I just drew a blank, scoring 26, we had no production. Bertans had two. Powell had three. Bullock had zero. Bullock was 0 for 10. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith had nine. Nilakina had zero. It, Maxi had zero. <laughs> we can't just rely on three people. We can't just rely on one person. Um, it's a team effort. It's a team sport. Our defense was atrocious. Golden State didn't even shoot efficiently, and they were just having a bunch of open looks to hit some key shots for us to uh, get put out of the game, in specific the Jordan Poole shot within the last minute or so. Uh, he hit a three in the corner as we cut the lead to five, and it's just the story of this series, man. We have not been playing efficient. Um, I'm getting really, really, really frustrated with Luka Doncic's defensive performance. Uh, I told Kyle, I told Mike, the guest of our last show, um, that it, it's just getting frustrated. The Mavericks Twitter, the Mavericks community tends to defend him. Um, bad shot selection, turns the ball over, doesn't get back in transition, doesn't get back on defense. Golden State scores every time. Stops moving when the ball isn't in his hands. Um, The offense kind of sits still when the ball is in his hands. The second he comes off the floor, the ball moves perfectly. Hit an open three the second Luka hits the the bench. It's insane. So, um, yeah, Dallas, it's over. Game four, wrap it up. I'd rather get the sweep than just prolong this because it's just... It's inevitable. Honestly, I'd rather just have Golden State take this time to rest and just wait to see who comes out of the East. Um, call it what you will. It's not giving up. It's just based off of what I've seen. I do not believe that this team has anything left to give. Um, and I do believe that they are just a couple of pieces away from actually being competitive. Kyle and I were talking about the potential offseason moves that might have to be made. But overall, going down 3-0 to a team like Golden State, it's blood in the water for them, man. They're just, what, they're just waiting for a time to capitalize. And it's unfortunate it's, we got to get swept on our home floor, but I, I, I just truthfully and honestly would rather just stop the pain. It's just frustrating to watch at this point. I know these games are getting closer the last two, but an L is an L at the end of the day, and I'm just not happy with how this team has performed as of late. I mean, the way that I see it, Kev, um, I'm not as doom and gloom when it comes to the Mavericks um, as, as you've outlined. Um, when I look at this season in particular, I mean, let's just kind of face it. The Mavericks are dead in the water. I mean, going down 3-0, 
it's just an insurmountable uh, comeback at this point. Damn near impossible, I would say. Um, it'd be one thing like if the Mavericks showed me a little bit more competitiveness in these last two games. The, I will say in game two that they definitely had a, a good performance, but it just wasn't as good as what Golden State was able to put out in game two, especially in the second half. And when you focus on this game three, I thought that the Mavericks and Golden State, they were going back and forth in that first half. They were really just kind of trading buckets. And then once again, Dallas gets off to a very slow start in the third quarter and Golden State takes advantage of it. And then, you know, you get a freaking eight to nine point lead going into the fourth quarter in favor of the Warriors and they never looked back. So when I look at Golden State, they look like the team, not only that's going to go to the NBA Finals, they have a very good chance to win the NBA Finals this year based on what they have with the lineup that they have assembled. When it comes to the Mavericks, it's like Kevin outlined. The entire team is essentially built around three players. Luka, Jalen Brunson, and Spencer Dinwiddie. That's not enough. Look at Golden State. Golden State has Steph, Klay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Draymond Green, and then sometimes they get good production from Kavon Looney. Like sometimes they'll get decent production from Otto Porter Jr. Sometimes granted he he went down with that that foot injury in Game Three, but when you look at Golden State, Golden State has multiple weapons at their disposal. Like if one guy, like for example, if Steph Curry is having an off game, you could see guys like Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, and even Andrew Wiggins or Draymond Green step up to kind of fill the gaps as far as what Steph may not be performing up to a level that we are typically accustomed to just because he might be missing more shots than he typically does. When it comes to the Mavericks, the Mavericks really don't have that because when you look at the Mavericks, I mean, if Luka doesn't drop 40 points, Dallas is probably going to lose by 20, 25 points because the production that they're going to get from Spencer, uh, Jalen, and then maybe some other players like Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith, it's just not enough because Let's face it, Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith are just not reliable shooters. When you look at Golden State, they have reliable shooters outside of Steph Curry. Andrew Wiggins, granted, I know he has a checkered pass when it came to his tenure with the Timberwolves, but he's played admirably with Golden State so far. You could look at Jordan Poole. You could look at Klay Thompson. Like These are bona fide shooters that you have to respect because they can knock down 50 to 75% of their shots when they're really on. With the Mavericks, they just don't have that at their disposal. And, you know, I understand the whole Luka frustration from Kevin just because, I mean, look, this is his team. And he probably knows his team a lot better than I would ever claim to know it. But the one thing that I will say about Luka is he's 23 years old. And this is definitely a learning experience. There's there's no doubt in my mind. Um, I think there's definitely uh, some elements of criticism uh, that are warranted when it comes to Luca, especially the whole complaining aspect, because I think that's something that is actually a distraction that the team has to uh, take into account moving forward, because it cannot be uh, an issue after this season. This needs to get uh, solved sooner rather than later. But despite whatever sort of criticisms that you could throw at Luca's way, this is one of those learning experiences. And there's probably going to be a multitude of experiences that Luca's going to have to go through before it finally sets in. There's a way that you are going to be able to win a championship, and the way that they are going about it right now, it's not working. The formula is not correct. But I imagine 
as time goes on and as Luka gains more experience and maybe the uh, the Mavericks try to add some more vet, uh, veteran uh, veteran uh, God, what am I trying to say here? More veteran, veteran players pieces. on the scenes. Yeah, exactly. To the roster, maybe get a little bit more re- reliable jump shooters, maybe get a big because that's the one thing that the Mavericks have really been struggling to address really since the departure of Tyson Chandler, which was over a decade ago. So there's definitely going to be some moving pieces with the Mavericks. But when it comes to Luka specifically, you're going to have to take these losses in stride. I remember I was telling this to Kevin a couple of days ago. I'm a Lakers fan. And granted, I was relatively young when uh, the core of like Kobe Bryant and Shaq were put together. But Kobe and Shaq, when it came to the playoffs, they got swept by the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs before they finally went, started winning championships. It takes time. And I do believe that Dallas has a very good chance to win a championship with Luka Doncic at the helm. It's just with the way that it's set up right now, with the current cast of players that they have around him, it's not enough. Maybe if they bring in somebody else in the future to add some depth and also uh, the experience of, you know, taking failures in stride and being able to not only bounce back, but use them as fuel, use them as motivation to lead to future success. I think that's something that's going to work in Dallas's favor. Not, you know, not this year, not next year, but potentially two, three, four years down the road, because I think that Dallas I'm still of the mindset that Dallas can can win a championship with Luka. It's just, there are going to be some changes along the way. And these learning experiences, I think, are going to be valuable uh, from here on out. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are other failures that come along the way before Luka gets an NBA title. So, it doesn't look good uh, for this series. I think this series is over with. If Dallas wins game four, good on them. Um, at that point, it's just really to save face. Uh, but this this should be wrapped up by either game four or game five. Just the Warriors are too good. And it's just the, the Mavericks are just, they're just not ready. But I give them credit. They got to the Western Conference Finals when nobody was expecting it. And that in and of itself is an accomplishment. But there's a lot left to be desired. And I think I'll just pretty much wrap it up there. Plenty of talent on the roster. Um, great coaching staff. Obviously, we got our superstar. We got our, our, our main piece. Got our bench scores. Got our role players. Got some good defenders. Got some good uh, enforcers, as they like to call it, with Dorian and Reggie. So it's not like, you know, we don't have any good wings. We're missing a big. Kyle alluded to it. I've been saying it for years. Um, there's a lot of rumors circulating the uh, the last quarter of the season. Plus, the excuse me, I just all these burps. Acid reflux killing me today. Um <laughs> Uh, a lot of rumors circulating something about uh, you know Rudy Gobert coming to Dallas. I don't like him as an individual, but I know that he puts uh, puts a defensive presence on whatever team he would be on. Obviously, we know that he is going to be able to rebound, which is critical for us because we just don't know how to rebound the basketball. He's always a top three rebounding big in the league. Uh, we know he's going to be able to block shots and disrupt people in the paint when they drive, which is one of our weakest attributes on the defensive side, even though we were top seven in the league, but whatever. Um I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, you know what, like, yes, we overachieved this year. Yes, we are competing against a veteran team that has been here so many times before. And like Kyle alluded to, losses like this build character. Um, series like this where we get embarrassed, leave a chip on individual players, leave a chip on a coaching staff, and that kind of shows like, hey, 
we made it here, we can get here again and perform 10 times better. We weren't hitting shots. We can hit those shots. Or quite frankly, you could just fucking stop taking them, in my opinion. But I'm always of the mindset, if you're actually open, I can't get mad at you taking the shot. You just got to fucking make it. You're a professional. I need you to make your shots. I need you to do what you need to do as an athlete and hit your fucking shots, kid. But, you know, at at, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Uh, Again, I've been saying this since this series was announced. I have no animosity towards Golden State. If this was Phoenix, it would be probably a different story. If Golden State goes on to win in four and five and six, whatever the series ends up going through, um, I am just happy at the fact that Steph will be back in the finals. I am going to be happy that Clay coming back into this, the fold shows he was the missing piece and he is exactly what Golden State needs. The emergence of Jordan Poole this season, this team just shows and gives me dynasty vibes despite their older age. And people have to admire that they are going to go down as one of the best teams in NBA history for a certain period of time because despite the injuries that they went through the last two or three seasons, they're right back in it when everybody got healthy. And that just speaks volume to their their pedigree, their character, um, their coaching staff, of course, with Steve Kerr and then, you know, Mike Brown. But overall, man, uh, yeah, no, I, I can't lie. I can't say I'm happy with this team right now. I'm still salty that we just we lost the way that we did. And I have my feelings and my regrets and my remorses, but it, it again, I'm just gonna like let it be, and you know, just not, I'm not gonna let it affect me that much. My girl and I actually had a conversation about how much sports affect me, and it's it's just not healthy how angry I get. So um, I am trying to turn the other cheek and and calm the fuck down because this is I'm not gonna live a long life, Kyle, if I keep freaking out every time my team doesn't win. It's not a good thing for my heart. Well, uh, you know, the, the, there's got to be an element of patience. And, and trust me, I, I understand. Like, I'm got none of that shit. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, it, it's tough. It's not like I don't understand, but yet the way that I see it is, these things take time. And I know it's cliche, but Rome was not built in one day. And sometimes, you know, when you look at these experiences that Dallas is going through, you know, you have to be of the mindset that they may go through multiple situations like this i know the lakers did and i know we were talking about it earlier um we, we were talking a little bit about the tampa bay lightning granted it's it's a completely different sport but we were talking about like the core group of guys like steven stamkos nikita kucherov and victor hedman they went through multiple failures before they finally were able to get it together and, and win a stanley cup and now they're possibly going for a three-peat which would be the first time that's happened since the, the Lakers at the beginning of the millennium, which would just be unbelievable because we haven't seen like that type of dominance in any sport, in any North American professional sport in quite some time. So when I look at the Mavericks, the Mavericks are relatively young across the board. I mean, Luca's 23 years old. When I mean, you look at Spencer Dinwiddie, Spencer is kind of one of the veterans. I don't even think he's in his 30s. I think he's like 27, 28. So he's still relatively young. And I think that's... Solid Maxi Kleba. Maxi Kleba might be one of the older ones on the team, and he's 30, 31. I know Bobon's older. But, I, you know, when you look at Dallas, I, I still think that Dallas is going to be able to figure this out. I, I don't think it's going to be next year, but I, I know within probably the next couple of years, they are going to have the, the right pieces. Hopefully, they have a good coaching staff. It could be Jason Kidd, it could be somebody completely different. He's not the problem. He will be there for a long time. You're convinced of that. 
Yes, Jason Kidd completely came in and changed the culture. We went from a bottom 10 defensive team to a top 10. That is a complete change of a culture. Like, we have played up to par, up to snuff. We got out of the first round with Jason Kidd, Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards in NBA history. Luca learned a lot from him, and he just changed the entire, again, I say the culture of this team because we were just not focalized here. We were legitimately outscore you or we're losing, and that's not the case. We were able to win gritty games. We were able to play competitive against some of the best teams in this league. We obviously upset the number one team in the NBA this year. Again, we overachieved in his first season. Um, It's not normal, so I will definitely not put this on Jason Kidd for sure. Questionable on his situational timeouts and, you know, his let the guys play through. Um, But again, he is of that old fashioned mindset of you have to be able to overcome adversity as opposed to me having to stop it every time you guys fuck up. Yeah, I mean, that's just the main thing with the defensive intensity is just being able to maintain it going into next year. But the the way that I see it is, you know, be, be patient. You have to allow... Jason Kidd to be able to, well, first of all, gain more uh, respect amongst the the players on the roster right now and and really to more establish more trust because as the years go on, if they're able to maintain that level of trust, that works out wonders for the future, especially with Luca at the helm. The the biggest thing is I think getting a big, getting a center, we're talking and about this for eleven fucking years, Kyle. I know. How long I, have I been I, since I met you? Almost eight years it, ago. Have I not been saying this religiously? Well, I think they're in a situation where they have no other choice now. I think it's it's the glaring weakness on that team. We got out rebounded by fourteen today. Half of those rebounds were Draymond Green, and he wasn't even the tallest person on the floor. When you look at the starting centers, or really just the centers in general that the Mavericks have on the roster. I don't even know that some of these guys would even be on the active roster on some of these other teams. Dwight Powell will probably be a backup somewhere. Maxi Kleber probably not so much because the man, as much as my girlfriend loves him, when he's when he's off, he's Brick. horrendous. Brick. Yeah. Not just offensively, bro. He even loses it on defense. He did, his biggest thing, he doesn't know how to stay flat. He does not know how to jump. He jumps at the, the the minute that ball goes up slightly, even if it's for a chest pass across the court, he left his feet and he's flying right past you. So he's probably one of our better defenders as 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 an individual, yes. But mm-hmm. he, like I said, man, when he's off, it is just it is painful to watch. Yeah, it, but you know th- that's the thing that the Mavericks are going to have to adjust over time is that they're going to have to adjust the roster to really give the the Mavs an actual chance to be a championship caliber team. They're just not there yet. Yep. And also you have to allow the front office to be able to wheel and deal to make some moves to, to bring in some new talent into the, into the locker room. So I do think that, you know, the better days for Dallas are ahead, but there's going to be some, st- there's going to be some stinging moments along the way. This is definitely one of them, but I mean, Kevin, you do have to understand like, you know, when you lose to Golden State, it is Golden State. Yep. It's not like Dallas is losing to like Minnesota or someone of that nature. They're losing to a dynasty. Yeah. They're, they're losing to a team that, I mean, to be quite honest with you, could pull off another championship or two within the next five years. So, Agreed. 
you know, you take these losses in stride. This is definitely a, a big loss. Like, we're basically asserting that the series is over. So that's kind of like the route we're going here. But I do believe that over time, Golden State's going to take a step back because Steph and Clay and Draymond, they're all going to get older. And that's going to leave the door open for teams like Dallas, maybe Memphis, to, you know, vibe at the top spot in the Western Conference within the next couple of years or so. It's just, this this is almost kind of reminiscent of the, the basically the stretch that Golden State is on right now. It reminds me of what the Lakers were on in 2008, 2009, and 2010. I think that Golden State for the next three years, they're going for it. Because they know that Steph, Clay, and Draymond, they've only got a couple years of like prime viability left before age really starts becoming a factor. And I do think that, you know, Dallas is going to be right there. It's just that Golden State is just going to be a problem to deal with for the next couple of years. And if Jordan Poole really starts popping off, if James Wiseman comes into the fold, because Lord knows if, if he does and is able to avoid injuries. And then you have other guys like Juan Toscano Anderson and Gary Payton the second. I mean, Golden State could definitely be a scary team after the era of oh, And Steph don't and, forget GP2, bro. I, I, I say Gary Payton. Oh. So th- that could definitely be something to work with. I don't know if it'll be ever. It won't eclipse what Steph, Clay, and Draymond did. But. I think there's definitely an opportunity for the Mavs to be able to to look at that situation. It's like, you know what? It, it, right now is not our time. It's just not our time right now, but give us a year, two, maybe three, we'll be in a better position. So this is, this is a situation where I think you just have to sit and wait. Let these guys go through the experiences. And, and trust me, you know, you know, possibly getting swept by Golden State, that's a painful lesson. But the failures are good motivators. I mean, take it from Kobe. Kobe talked about that a lot. Those early series where they got swept by Utah, got swept by the Spurs, it definitely puts a chip on your shoulder. And I imagine as time goes on, Luka and Dallas as a whole, they're going to build that chip. And it's experiences like this that are going to be able to build it. It, it sucks in the in like the here and now, but it's going to serve wonders down the road. Because, you know, honestly, I think the best teacher is failure sometimes. You got to follow your ass to learn how to get up in general. So I, I'm yeah, not going to sit here and deny you, it. You got to brush the dirt off your shoulders, bro. Like sometimes it it's required. Yep. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, with Dallas moving forward. Maybe they win game four just to save face. But, yeah, I'm pretty much of the mindset that, you know, the series is over. But with that said, we're going to transition to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that is where the Miami Heat are up 2-1 in that series after a uh, a gutty win over the Boston Celtics, winning that one by the score of 109-103. to um, Despite the fact that the Heat lost Jimmy Butler to a knee injury in Game 3, it did not stop them from getting that win. Uh, Bam Adebayo was an absolute man on a mission, uh, scoring 31 points, getting 10 rebounds and 6 assists. They were able to get good production from, of all people, P.J. Tucker, Hmm. And Max Strews, they combined for 33 points together. Uh, this is the first time that we've seen Kyle Lowry uh, play for the Heat for the, within like the last couple of weeks or so. He returned from his injury. He dropped in 11 points. And then to kick it over to Boston, I mean, Boston got off to a pretty slow start. They did make it a game at the end of the second half, but the early deficit was just too much for Boston to get out of. Jalen Brown was an absolute 
dynamite. Monster. He was absolutely dynamite. He was dynamite in that game. Dropped 40 points, had nine rebounds. It was absolutely insane. But Jason Tatum had one of his worst playoff games uh, this entire postseason. Only dropped 10 points. Uh, definitely some room for improvement uh, for Jason as far as I'm concerned. But the way that it stands right now, the, the Heat are up 2-1 in that series. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how pivotal was that Game 3 win for Miami despite losing Jimmy Butler in the process? I think that shows the utmost character for this team. Um, I think that shows and speaks volume to the coaching staff because it was, of course, next man up, which is the mentality for all sports. But when you lose your best player, the guy that has literally willed you to this point with his voice and his actions on the court, um, I think that just goes to show how built this team is and how ready Miami is to go back to the finals. And I'm not saying that they're going. I'm just saying it. a game like that where you drop that person Typically, that would lead to them falling off or not performing as well or at a consistent level. You go out and you win a tough game away and you go to show, you know what you say, Jimmy, I got you. Players like P.J. Tucker that you don't expect any offense from, 17 points, absolutely incredible. Bam Adebayo has his best game of the whole postseason and says, you know what? I got you, big bro. I got you, OG. I'm here for you. And when you go and you have a game this close, and you're missing your best player, that goes to show if Jimmy's actually there, this game might be another blowout. It just, again, it speaks incredible volume to the team and how much they're willing to perform and kind of just show that, hey, we're we're here. <laughs> we're not going nowhere. Despite the fact that Miami was out-rebounded because Boston out-rebounded them, I believe, 44-33 to or 44-34, to which is just crazy to me considering, obviously, Bam goes off for what he did with 31-10, and 10, but... That's besides the point. Um, now, for Boston, I'm kind of flipping this over, and I'm saying, what in the hell happened to Jason Tatum? I didn't get to watch this game. I saw all the memes of Jason taking a bad hit, and he kind of laid there. It looked like he faked an injury after his poor performance. They said that he was trying to get out of a, a bad performance game, and they were referencing him to the Paul Pierce getting carried out in the 2000 and what? Was that the 2008 championship run that they had? where he kind of like needed to be carried off the floor because he was cramping when in reality he admitted in public recently over the last season or two uh, that he had to take a shit. So it was kind of funny. But um, there were just memes all over the place for this whole Jason Tatum thing, and I thought it was a little bit out of pocket. But nevertheless, he had a poor performance. Jalen had to carry the load. But again, my biggest thing, just like I'm critical with my team, the two of them combined for 13 turnovers. That is absolutely unacceptable. Then you go and you add Marcus Smart's four turnovers. That's 17 turnovers between three players, your three best players. That is not a good look. That is not a good stat to have. Between Jason's bad play and those turnovers, Boston was still within six, and they didn't have Jimmy Butler on the Miami side. This series is the definition of a back-and-forth series. One team steals one on the other team's home court, and then you go back to the other team's home court, <laughs> and then they get they 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 hold uh, a loss on their home floor. So, um, like Kyle said at the beginning of the episode, all reports are indicating that Jimmy would not miss this game for the life of him. So Jimmy more than likely will be starting. Now, how long he will play is a whole other story. We don't know if he's going to be on a minute restriction or if he's just going to have um, limited minutes in general which is the actual definition of what minute restrictions is. So sorry, never mind. My brain's kind of all over the place. But I mean, looking at this and saying 
Boston made mistakes and they were this close. Miami was missing their best player and 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 that and they still found a way to win. I think if Jason can clean up his act, become a little bit more efficient from the field, which would take off some pressure from Jalen. Um, I still stand by my prediction with Boston in seven because of how good the two of them are when they're on. Um, with this being Bam's first big game all postseason, I won't go as far as to say that this was a fluke, but I definitely do not see him having a big game like that again. So Miami will probably even itself out and go back to just Jimmy being the focal point. And if those shooters like Struess and, um, of course, P.J. Tucker hitting those occasional corner threes can continue, I do believe that Miami will uh, will find a way to keep this competitive. But, yeah, no, this this game was wild from what I can see, what I heard, highlights that I saw. Um, it kind of went back and forth for a little bit. But overall, outside of that first quarter where Miami absolutely dominated, um, Boston was keeping him them himself. Boston was keeping themselves in the game as best as they could, but Miami found a way to pull away. No surprise here. The Eastern Conference Finals just continue to get more and more interesting. Well, Kevin, I mean, you pretty much highlighted like the main uh, part for me. The biggest thing that stood out to me from this whole game three between Boston and Miami was just Boston's turnovers. I mean, it was a 23 to 8 differential. And one of the things I actually want to point out with, with Miami specifically is, is not the amount of shots that they made. It's the amount of shots that they had, period. They had 92 shot attempts in game three. Boston had 70. You're talking about a 22 point, a 22 shot difference. And that just, it gave Miami more opportunities to be able to knock down shots. And that's despite the fact that Boston had a higher shooting percentage from the field and behind the three-point line. And yet Miami was still able to win. It all comes down to being able to not only force turnovers, but being able to capitalize off those. And Miami made that a just an outright habit in game three, and it worked with flying colors. And that's despite the fact that they lost Jimmy Butler in the second half. He was dealing with a knee issue that kept him out. And, you know, when you look at Miami's resolve in the second half, that's really kind of the thing that I want to focus on. Because in the first half, I mean, they had... My they had Boston in with just outright problems. I mean, the way that I remember the first half playing out, Boston I don't think scored more than fifty points in the first half. I think they scored forty seven, if I remember correctly. And Miami was up twenty plus points in the first half. I mean, that's phenomenal. And when you look at just how the game transpired uh, throughout the second half, uh, despite the fact that Jimmy was out of the lineup. You know, except for the fourth quarter where Boston kind of made a late push to make things close. You know, Miami was able to hold their own. You know, Bam dropping 31 points, but really the role player stepping up for Miami is really what I'm focusing with on the offensive side of the ball. You know, P.J. Tucker dropping 17 points. Max Struess dropping 16 points. And then Kyle Lowry, uh, despite the fact that he's missed some time with some lingering injury issues, was able to throw in 11 points as well. So... Obviously, Jimmy Butler not being in the lineup definitely hurts, but they were able to find a way to look past that and be able to carry themselves uh, to a Game 3 win, which is absolutely pivotal because they lost Game 2 at home uh, to Boston. So to be able to, to to get a road win in Game 3, that sets them up for a possible situation where if they were to win Game 4 on the road, they would take this series back to Miami 3-1 in their favor with a possibility of closing it out in 5. I mean, that would be kind of a dream scenario for Miami at this point. But 
to Kevin's credit, I think this is like one of those series where it's going to go back and forth. And I think, you know, even though that Boston lost game three, there's a very good chance that they could be able to rally the troops and make things happen in game four. And you could say the same with Miami. Miami could find a certain way to be able to get back into it, um, to find a certain pattern that they saw in game three and be able to implement it going into game four that can work to their advantage. But overall, I mean, this game three performance for Miami, it was absolutely huge. This was Bam's best game of the entire playoffs as far as I'm concerned. And they definitely need it because of Jimmy's absence in the second half. And, um, you know, to be up 2-1 uh, with the possibility of going up uh, 3-1 going into game four, that's definitely an opportunity that I think Miami is looking at uh, pretty positively. So that's just how I see it. Now, as we transition into game four, that's the next statement that we have on the agenda. Um, very simple. You know, game four takes place on Monday. Um, Miami stands 2-1 in the series right now. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with game four between the Celtics and the Heat taking place on Monday, who do you think is going to come out on top and why? I think Boston's coming out aggressive. I think Boston is going to completely change the, the dynamic of what it is that they were about in the first couple of games. I think they are going to come out and attack the basket. I think they are going to make sure that they get Jason and Jalen in rhythms early. Uh, I know that Ime Udoka is going to be absolutely critical of this team and making sure that they limit their turnovers and maximizing on Miami's. Um, let's be frank. Jimmy is hurt. You have to take advantage and put him in a position to where he has to defend aggressively. Now, whether or not you put switches to where he has to guard a big and put him in the post, get him in foul trouble, or just make life a living hell for him on the defensive side and really get up on him so that he is forced to put pressure on that knee, um, is yet to be seen. I just definitely think that this series is going to be competitive. It's going to continue to be aggressive. It's going to continue to be chippy. Uh, hopefully, Robert Williams will be able to come back and play in this game as well because we all know that he is one of the main pieces and compartments on this defensive unit that is the Boston Celtics. And I think that they are going to just have to come at this game in a completely different light. Um, we know that Miami is a gritty team in and of itself. We, we know that Jimmy Butler is one of those players that just gets it done on both sides of the ball. And I think that that's just going to have to transcend uh, to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown again. I know that we've been kind of preaching it like a broken record here, but when those two are on, it is pretty hard to stop them. And it has shown in this postseason that when they play together and play efficient, it is very hard to put a stop to the two of them. Jalen did the best that he could, and he dropped 40, and he had a masterful game. But we all need that for we all know that for them to be successful, they're going to have to have Jason play a lot better. And again, as I said, with this game coming down to a six point or yeah, a six point game, and Jason have the game that he did, it just kind of speaks volume that you know when he's on, it is quite scary. So we will have to see what happens as this series goes. But I'm going to definitely say that Boston comes back. I don't see them losing two in a row on their home court, and I definitely see them making adjustments because Ime Udoka, um, a coach of the year candidate, a first-time head coach, showed that he can get the best out of this young group, and I think that he has them prepared to uh, come out aggressive in that game four matchup against the Heat coming up. Kevin, I'm with you 100% on this one. I've got the Celtics as well, and I think it's really the point that you outlined with Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum had 10 points in game three. I think he knows that he knows that he could do better. The entire team, pretty much the entire Boston area, knows that he could do better. And I expect that that's what's going to go down in Game 4. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and tries to score 30, 35 points just because of that Game 3 performance. So, all in all, I definitely have Boston 
winning this one. And, you know, it's going to be like this. So when I look at that, the game three specifically from Boston, I mean, Jalen Brown was really essentially the guy that was keeping them in it. Because like I said, Jason Tatum was not really consistent from the field. He was he had one of his worst player performances in his relatively young NBA career in game three. But even though that the Celtics were down by and large throughout most of the game, if not the entire game in game three, they definitely showed me some resilience to be able to stay in it, to make it a closer game at the end. They just weren't able to get a large run to put them ahead by the end of game three. And I think a large part had to do with just Jason just knocking, knocking down shots. I think going into game four, I think the main thing that they're going to have to make adjustments to is trying to be able to slow down Bam Adebayo. I mean, Bam Adebayo was an absolute monster in Game 3, and that was despite the fact that Jimmy Butler did not play the entire second half because of a lingering knee issue that he sustained. And I imagine that Jimmy Butler's going to be playing in Game 4. Now, to what extent that he's going to play, I have no idea. Could he be on a minutes restriction? Potentially. We'll just kind of have to see how it plays out the way that Eric Spolstra utilizes him in the lineup. But overall, I think the one thing that if I'm if I'm Boston, I focus on Jimmy Butler. I focus on him and make sure that I get it, the ball out of his hands and force it to guys like Max Struess, P.J. Tucker, and possibly Tyler Hero because I'd rather have those guys go out there and perform than Jimmy because Jimmy's already shown when he's on, he is a nightmare to deal with because he's a great mid-range shooter. He has the ability to knock down occasionally a three-point shot. It's not a focal point of his game, but knocking down mid-range shots, driving into the lane, getting fouls, getting to the free throw line, that's what Jimmy lives off of. And if they, if Boston can find a way to be able to, to slow him down or contain him and force the ball into some of the role players that Miami has in their roster, like I just outlined, I think that Boston could be able to work with that and be able to slow down Miami pretty significantly going into game four. And then when it comes to the offensive side for Boston, I think... If they get some sort of similar production from Jalen Brown, I think if they get decent uh, production from Grant Williams, uh, Marcus Smart, and even Al Horford, I think it sets them up in a great situation for game four. Um, it would be interesting to see how, how Marcus Smart uh, responds. He's been dealing with a couple injury issues of his own the last couple of games, and we don't know what his health status um, and how much is going to be affected going into game four is going to be. But I think this is a game where Jason's just going to absolutely take over. I think Jalen's going to be effective once again. I don't think he's going to drop 40 points like he did in game three. And I think as long as they get the decent production from Al Horford, Al Horford, Marcus Smart, and they're able to lock up Jimmy on the other side of the ball, I think it does them wonders. And I do believe that when it's all said and done, uh, when game five takes place in Miami, it will be 2-2 apiece because I think Boston's going to win this one. I'm going to say Boston wins this one by about 10 points. I think this is going to be a score where it's going to be like 115 to 105. Um, it, it would surprise me if Boston gets off to a really good start because for some odd reason, both of these teams like to just absolutely blow the other team out in the first half where it's like completely insane. These are the number, these are the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. You, you have these wildly different outcomes that take place in the first half with one team just absolutely beating the brakes off of the other team. Um, that could happen in game four once again, like it has in the first couple games of the series. But I think when it's all said and done, Boston ties up the series when this series goes back to Miami for game five. That's just how I see it. We've been saying it since this season came up 
or this series since this series started. This matchup, these two teams are very, very, very competitive. These two defensive units, these two coaching staffs are very, very, very similar. And it was going to be a battle of the best defenses in the Eastern Conference and arguably in the league. And you're just sitting here like, how has this, why can't this be a finals matchup? Like, why can't we sit here and watch them in the final game? Because this Western Conference, this Western Conference Finals is not necessarily competitive, and you're just looking at it saying like, "Well, shit!" Like this, this, this series, although be it you know blowouts in almost every game, it's been entertaining. Both teams are good. Both teams are are physical. Both teams are gritty. And Jason versus Jimmy, and then of course you sit there and you look at you know obviously Marcus Smart and and all these other you know big name players. They're playing at the top of their level, and this is why they get paid the money that they do because of. You know, performances like they've been having the last couple of games, and uh, you can't really ask for much more. Granted, you want every game to be competitive like this in a six- or seven-point window, but we all know that that's just not how this modern NBA goes. It's who can score the most the fastest, and usually the team that loses probably gives out, unless you're Golden State, because they just they don't ever have quit in them. Um, dude, I'm just... I'm happy that at least one series is competitive. I'm happy that Jason and Jalen and, of course, Jimmy and Bam are doing what they need to do in their respective teams. And uh, overall, I cannot wait to see what happens in Game 4 tomorrow because I told Kyle, point blank period, I'm probably not going to watch the Mavs Game 4. I told a lot of my friends I'm not doing it, whether it's bad luck, bad juju, negativity, whatever you want to call it. I just have no interest in watching it just because as a Mavericks fan, I'm beyond pissed. This Celtics game, I will make it my business to watch it tomorrow because that's how good this series has been. But uh, outside of that, cannot complain. It's been a great Eastern Conference Finals, and I look forward to it continuing for my prediction of it being seven Seven games. games. I said six for Boston, but you know the thing is, I, I will say this, though, about this series between the Celtics and the Heat. I'm actually going to say the opposite of what, what you're saying about it being like competitive. I'll be honest with you. With the way that these first halves have played out, it's not competitive. It's the opposite. I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, I'm looking at the box score here from the first half um, of Game 3 with Miami and Boston. It was 63-47. to 47. I mean, it's a 16-point lead. If it was like a two-point lead, that'd be one thing. I will say this, like Game 3 in the first half, for like the Mavericks and the Warriors, it was competitive. It was 48 to 47. It's just both teams kind of going back and forth. And then Golden State kind of just took off in the second half and they never looked back. But even though that when you look at the final score of, you know, Boston and Miami in game three, it was only six points. That was not necessarily the case by and large throughout most of the game. Miami was up over 20 points at some points. So, you know, there have been some games where they've just been utter blowouts. And then you have some of these more relatively close games. Actually, even though that Kevin never doesn't want to hear it, I actually think that the games between the Warriors and the Mavs have actually been more competitive than what Miami and Boston have done. Just because the back and forth nature that goes on between uh, Golden State and Dallas is actually pretty recognizable to me. Because in game two, Kevin, it's like you said, the Mavericks had a double digit lead on the road against Golden State. They just couldn't hold it in the second half. But that that definitely leads to more competitiveness just based off of what Golden State was able to do in the second half. So it's just, 
you know, it, it's interesting because like, like in one aspect, we're saying, yeah, this is a this is going to be a really competitive series because the series could potentially go seven games, but the individual games themselves might actually be like utter blowouts until like the fourth quarter where one team just is kind of racking up points because they have no other choice to. But I, I said Boston in six. I think I'm probably going to be wrong in that regard. I do think that this is going to go probably seven games just with how it's played out so far. Unless one team really just starts ramping it up and just starts dominating the other team. Um, I, I'm probably starting to, uh, I'm definitely starting to come to the idea of this possibly going seven games. So we'll see how it plays out. But I do think that when it's all said and done, Boston's going to win game four and tie the series up. So that leaves us with one segment left. It's an NHL-related one. Uh, Kevin, you can kick this one to me because I'll I'll take this one. Yeah, I mean, guys, obviously the NHL playoffs are going on. Um, with myself not necessarily being a hockey fan, appreciative of the sport, just not necessarily finding the time to watch it. Even my own team, the Rangers, who are currently down 2-1 to one against the Hurricanes. Um, there's another team out there in the East that is just... They are chasing something that has not been done in what seems to be a lifetime. And for most of you that watch, <laughs> it probably is a lifetime. We have not seen a three-peat in professional sports since the Los Angeles Lakers did it. No, actually, no, you guys didn't three-peat, right? The Patriots did not three-peat. It was the Lakers. From t- the year 2000 to 2002, Tampa Bay Lightning are the defending back-to-back champions in the NHL, and they are looking to steamroll their way into the Eastern Conference Finals and then thus, for, thus forth propelling themselves into another Stanley Cup berth. So, Kyle, with this being your team, and with them being probably the hottest team in hockey right now, what are your thoughts on a potential 3 P and the possibility of it actually happening? Well, the way that I see it with the Lightning so far is this year has been definitely a little bit more challenging than I think uh, Lightning fans were originally expecting. Because even though that they have won back-to-back Stanley Cups, I didn't really reflect it that much during the regular season because when you looked at the the Eastern Conference standings, um, specifically within the games that they've played so far, um, you looked at some other teams like the Florida Panthers and the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Statistically speaking, they had a better year than what the Lightning did. That's despite the fact that the Lightning, you know, are the defending back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. And in the first round of the playoffs, I mean, Let's face it, the Toronto Maple Leafs gave the Lightning a lot of hell to work with. And even though that Toronto is a team that's kind of had their own uh, playoff ineptitude for like the last 10 to 15 years, they definitely pushed the Lightning to the brink, got it to a game seven, and then the Lightning were able to find a way to win on the road to be able to advance to the second round of the playoffs. And the thing that I want to highlight specifically about this Lightning team from their uh the first round of the playoffs going into the second round is this team looks like they have finally gotten it together because when i look back to that first round playoff matchup against the toronto maple leafs the lightning gave up 13 goals in the first three games against toronto in the series against florida so far they have only given up three they've given up one goal in each of the games throughout the first three and the one thing that has really stood about stood out about the Lightning so far is really their defensive pressure has stepped up tremendously within these first three games. And 
I haven't really mentioned this. I should. The Lightning are up 3-0 against the Florida Panthers, and the Florida Panthers were arguably one of the best teams, if not the best team, during the regular season this year. So it's a lot of credit to what the Lightning have as far as their championship caliber goes to be able to go on the road to where the Florida Panthers play and win both of those road games, and really in Game 2 specifically, be be able to win that game in dramatic fashion with three or four seconds left with Nikita Kucherov doing this little slip pass to Ross Colton to set it up for the game-winning goal. It was absolutely phenomenal. And then to be able to carry that momentum going into Game 3 at home and put up five goals against the Panthers. Granted, two of them were empty netters, but... I mean, really the shot selection that the Lightning got in that game three, it was just absolutely phenomenal. The one slap shot that Kucherov set up for Steven Stamkos, I mean, that slap shot by Stamkos was a thing of beauty. I mean, it was a missile headed towards the net, and he ended up scoring it. That was the goal that put him up 3-1. to And then they got two empty netters after that that gave him uh, five when it was all said and done. But the way that I see it right now, I mean, granted, you know, the Lightning... This is a great core of guys that they have at their disposal. Steven Samkos, the captain, has been there for as long as I've known him to be around. Been there a decade plus at this point. Uh, They have great players to work with outside of him. I mean, Nikita Kucherov, as far as I'm concerned, is just having a phenomenal playoff run, really specifically uh, these last couple games against Florida. And there were some standout moments that he had against Toronto as well. But really, when you look at some of the role players that they have at their disposal, so when you look at the the second and third line options that they have, I mean, they've been able to get great production from players like Ross Colton, uh, Eric Chernak. I mean, you know, t- typically these aren't guys that get a lot of shine and a lot of credit, but when they show up, they show up at the right time when the Lightning need it. And they've been able to do that consistently, not in just this playoff series against the Panthers, but in previous uh, playoff runs in the past. And they're, they're proving their worth once again when it matters the most. I mean, when I look at the Lightning, when I look at their chances of winning another Stanley Cup, I mean, I don't know who's going to stop them at this point. I mean, they are beating down the highest scoring team from this past season in the Panthers. And they are just putting on an absolute clinic. I mean, the Lightning have outscored the Panthers in this series, if I have my math right, 11-3. to it's almost a four to one ratio. I mean, there's not much else I can really say other than, you know, that this team is finding ways to not only win, but able to be able to dominate in the process. Game three was really an example of that. Now, I don't know if they're going to go into game four and sweep the Panthers outright, but with the momentum that they have, I think there's a very good chance that they could be able to do that. And not only that, if they're able to sweep the Panthers, I think they have a very good chance to not only advance um, into the Stanley Cup Finals. Granted, they would have to win the Easter Conference Finals to do that, but I don't see really any team stopping them if they're able to continue the success that they've had against the Panthers, against potentially uh, the Rangers or the Hurricanes. It just depends on who wins that series when it's all said and done. But the Lightning are in a great space right now. I think that they're, they're, the possibility of them three-peating is I think that that idea is actually starting to gain more momentum really within the last couple of days or so, just because of the performances that they've had. It was really kind of up in the air against Toronto because Toronto was really giving them fits in that first round. But when I look at this team right now, this team is just knocking down shots 
And I think that that is more than likely going to continue, uh, not only against Florida, but I think it's going to serve them well uh, because I do think that they are going to be able to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals and then they would play either Carolina or the Rangers. But they're in a really good space right now. And I definitely see the opportunity of them three-peating uh, becoming reality. That's just how I see it. Well, I mean, the city of Tampa would absolutely erupt if that were to happen. Um, it's bad enough I got to deal with people's shit about the Bucks. Now I got to talk about them three-peat happening in the city of Tampa. Champa Bay, as some people like to call it, which is something I will never call it. You detest but, it, uh, don't you? You, you, detest, I, uh, you, detest, so you detest those titles, don't you? Like the, those just, little... It just annoys me because the city of Tampa doesn't really care. It's a it's a bandwagon city. People not, cannot name not Buccaneers. With the you can't no, say that I with know, the lightning. I know, I know. I'm just saying in terms of the nickname Champa Bay because of the Super Bowl shit. That just... I'm not going to get into it. It is what it is. I, for the love of God, hope that the Rangers find a way to win. And I would love to then sit and just shoot the shit with Kyle and actually watch some playoff hockey where the two teams are going at it. Granted, if the goddamn bolts go out there and they beat us it is what it is I, I i don't really watch hockey i can't really talk shit i would be happy a new york team is successful but i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like i've watched them all season overall you know the nhl playoffs are very entertaining to watch um very physical very 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 fun to just witness especially if you're there if you're able to watch a hockey game as kyle has said as kyle has said it's electric ha 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 bolts ha, ha. um I, but I, I mean I, I didn't even do that on purpose I just that, I'm just uh, that just happened it was that was funny I just wish I can get more into it I don't know what it is I don't know if it's because I just I don't know the rules or because it's not necessarily a sport that I played I usually gravitate towards sports that I played growing up but uh again I can't sit here and say that it's it's a sucky sport to actually pay attention to because it's not but I mean playoffs are playoffs bro no matter what sport it is and, and the fact that the lightning are doing what they're doing that's just history to be made and something to monitor because we said it multiple times a three-peat hasn't happened in over two decades so for across this to all be sports, across all exactly sports, that's crazy so you know for, for for this to be a possibility is something that needs to be appreciated and respected regardless of what you believe or what sports that you like this is something that this this is history potentially yeah, but I th- it's kind of crazy that, you know, based on the timeline that they, they've been working with, I mean, I think they won two Stanley Cups within the, the time frame of like nine to ten months. Like that, that you know, usually you don't see that. Usually it's like a year, you know, as far as like, you know, from when you win one title going to the next one. They did it in like nine months. So they did it in a shorter time frame. And that was winning back to back. And now if they're going to add a third one, I mean, that would be just outright insane. It's just, it's like you said, you know, typically we don't see something like this very often where you see a professional team in North America be able to have the opportunity to even compete for a three-peat. I mean, for God's sakes, you have to win two of them in a row. And and that in and of itself is like, I, the idea of winning bat-to-bat championships is almost insurmountable when you really kind of think about it, I mean, to be able to get to a championship in the first place and, and win it, you know, usually you might only get like one opportunity to be able to do that, but to win bad to back and then have another opportunity to possibly win a third one. That'd be insane. It'd be absolutely insane. So, um, you know, granted they're still only in the second round. So it's a little premature to kind of, you know, focus on them. They're going to do it. Like they're, they're going to just go right to the Stanley cup and win it. 
Uh, that's way too premature. But the momentum is definitely starting to build. Because, I mean, against the Panthers, they've been absolutely dominant. And if they're able to do that to a team like the Panthers, and it just could be a situation where they just had the Panthers number and there's nothing that the Panthers can do about it. But I think, man, I you got to look at Carolina and the Rangers, depending on who advances to the Eastern Conference Finals. They're probably thinking like, damn. It's like we're going up against the team that is just red hottest hot team right in the now. playoffs. Like that's a bad scenario, and especially the team that's been winning freaking championships left and right the last couple of years. That's a tough look, no matter what team you are. But you know, we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, game four takes place, I believe. Um, I believe they actually Tomorrow? play. No, they actually play back to back. So they're playing on Monday. Tomorrow. Yeah, so, well, it's <laughs> well, it's one seventeen right now. They actually play oh, today, whatever. Yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of crazy. One seventeen. Good God. Yeah, no. So, but yeah, that would be absolutely insane if they were able to do it. But I mean, other than that, I think that's uh, everything that we have uh, outlined for the agendas. I don't really have anything else to bring up. Kevin, is there anything else you wanted to bring up before we wrap this up? Uh, not necessarily, guys. We do apologize for the short agendas. Um, you know, not a lot of stuff going on. I mean, baseball is in full swing, but I mean, unless you wanted us to kind of break through, break down all sixteen games that happened today. I mean, you know, what I'm saying it kind of just the narratives for baseball kind of get tedious. You pay attention to like win streaks, no hitters, uh, big performances, like you know, people that pitch or play for the cycle. Should I say? Haven't really seen anything. Uh, I think Yelich actually hit for the cycle. I think this year again, I think he's the only player in MLB history to do it three times. I could be wrong. I saw something on Twitter. It could have been old. It could have been something that I read when I was half asleep. I don't know necessarily. But again, the, the fact that we're running out of titles, just we're getting to that point in the summertime where it's just going to be strictly right after basketball. It's just going to be pretty much the Stanley Cup final. And then it's just all baseball all the time. Mm-hmm. So we'll make do with what we have. There, there, there's plenty of narratives that we can talk about in terms of the NFL um, offseason grades uh, outside of, you know, just the uh, free agency. We could talk about just the draft, our division predictions, who we are early predictions to win the Super Bowl, who's going to be an early prediction for an MVP. We do it every year. We, we, we'll, make, we'll make do like we always do, and we'll find ways to just, you know, get you guys the content that, you know, we feel is best to put out there and we feel comfortable putting out there every day. But, I mean, as I always say, guys, with, with, without you guys, we wouldn't be here. Uh, we've, re- we've received a lot of support on other platforms as of late, and I cannot be thankful enough. Uh, big kudos to the one and only editor-chief right here making it all happen and in the time frame that he's allotted to. So, uh, you know, without my partner, I know we wouldn't be able to do this. But outside of all of that, guys, that's going to wrap it up for me. A uh, whole lot of stuff coming up soon. But, you know, other than that, hope you guys have a great start to your week. Yeah, I mean... Uh, other than that, I just appreciate you guys tuning in, whether it was watching us on YouTube, uh, listening in on the audio platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I uh, definitely appreciate the support wherever we can get it. Um, you know, like Kevin said, uh, it's pretty much mostly going to revolve around NBA content and a little bit of NHL content for the foreseeable future uh, until those respective seasons come to an end. Um, but yeah, just appreciate you guys rocking with us and supporting us uh, as much as you can. And uh, we hope that that continues on to the future. 
So, I mean, with that said, um, I got nothing more to say from here. So, with that said, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you guys later this week. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid.